Hello everybody and welcome to Brumbagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. People are so excited because today this shit is bananas. B A N A N A S. And I'm not kidding when I'm saying that because the guest of today is just wow. But so let's proceed with order. Thank you for listening to this podcast and thanks Komoot for keeping me company in this season number five. And remember, you can take advantage for my partnership just go on komoot.com slash g and write the code broom so you can get your extra region for free with everything coming with that right so i mean you can get your turn-by-turn navigation another region where you can get and plan your amazing adventure this time now of the year is time for winter adventure so please continue do it and remember that we're gonna talk about still Komoot things and our backyard rides and everything like that Komoot is your best partner not only because it's getting me some uh, cool access to cool things but also because it's giving you some cool access to amazing adventure remember that and another thing that you need to remember now also on spotify you can give some good ratings to every podcast to this podcast in particular and i'm talking about some five stars that needs to be dropped there in your favorite podcast host you can do it also on apple podcast but there you can also leave a review for me it's super important you will give me huge 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 visibility by doing that and if you want to be if you feel a bit more generous remember that down here below you're gonna see as well my coffee link and there you can drop some coin to pay me a coffee and to keep on the broom wagon independent last thing also down here there is the page for supporting by kigi the amazing ong the other way around ngo from berlin who helps women to learn how to go on a bike refugee women Remember, all the time that I'm naming COVID or my guest is naming COVID, I'm dropping a coin in my COVID jar. But you can do the same. You can be independent and also drop some coin for Buy Kigi. Everything is down in the description below. The guest of today. Yes, the guest of today. I got in contact with Seven Mesh last year thanks to my friend Max, Max Riese. Hi, man. How are you doing? And thanks to him, I got in contact with Jan and we made an episode about Seven Mesh. Then I got to know John because just social media and whatever stuff. We were planning to also to meet in person, but it didn't happen. And John helped me putting me in contact with the guest of today. I'm talking about Zventaf pro cyclist for a long time and now getting back in his life of adventure it's incredible how a pro cyclist made adventure the biggest brick of his training and also the biggest brick of his wellness people listen to this podcast is huge inspiration i will talk to you later Episode number three, uh, season number five, The Broom Wagon. Today we are going to talk about a huge, weed, a big adventure character. Also, he can share with us some stories about the Propeloton, but we're not going to talk about the Propeloton. We're going to talk a bit more about camping outside, sport, and exploring with several means of transport and, uh, let's say, action sport stuff. Okay, it probably it's better for me to cut that. And I would say, actually, I'm here with huh, Svein Tuft. Does it make sense? Is it a real pronunciation of your name and surname, man? Perfect. Okay. I'm super famous for making a mess with it. So I'm happy that we reached the <laughs> point that it was decent. How are you doing, man? 
I'm doing great, yeah. <laughs> where are you, man? Uh, you, I know that you're in British Columbia, uh, Columbia, but where exactly in BC? Yeah, we are in Nelson, British Columbia, in the in the Kootenays. It's a bit of a dream area that I always uh, growing up. And before I moved off to Europe, it was always a place that I that I loved. And when we moved back from Andorra last year. It was a place I just kept looking and looking to try and find a place, and now here we are in the in the snow country. So wow. yeah, just loving it. How many months over the year you have snow there? Oh, I would say uh, starting in um, kind of end of October mm-hmm. and right right into April. Okay, okay, yeah, wow. Yeah. So we are talking about six half year. Half of a year of yeah, solid. Half year. Yes, that's yeah. great. And what elevation are you at? We're at a thousand meters. Oh, but okay. Here it, it's different than like when we used to live in Andorra, we were at 1600 meters and we didn't barely get any snow. You know, like that Mediterranean, the, the weather's so different, right? You're in the heart of the Pyrenees, but you're just not getting this snow. And here every day, I'm shoveling. Uh, we get you know thirty centimeters overnight, no problem. It's it's pretty regular. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. And but you yeah. were not uh, born in that area. You didn't grow in that area. No, I was born on the coast, closer to Vancouver. Okay, okay, that's super great. But then, so you you are talking actually the plural. So you are saying we. You are talking about then your family. How many are you yep. in the family at the moment? Yeah. So it's my wife and two kids. Um, my boy Gunner, he's four years old, and my little daughter Heidi is ten months now. <laughs> That's super yeah. great, super great. No dogs this time. No, no dogs no. on pets. Okay. Maybe soon. Okay, keep us posted. <laughs> super curious of that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually, yeah, we actually already started and everything, but probably let's do that. I'm not gonna introduce you because otherwise, if I'm gonna start talking about all your pro life so i mean you were pink jersey at um the giro d'italia of course you took part at six i think tour de france or five or six stuff like this some giro d'italia some vuelta a lot of rides but what else tell me a bit more about you Sven. <laughs> well like as as pro riding or just in my life in general I would love to know everything, but you know that we're going to talk about <laughs> slightly about your pro life. You know that I'm super fascinated about your yeah. adventure side. Well, look, my life in the pro peloton ended in 2019. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know how I ended up doing that job <laughs> in the first place. Okay. And then how, how I ended up doing it as long as I did. Like those things are they still boggle my mind to this day because it was not the type of character I was. I, I, um, you know, I grew up, like I said, with my dad always had my brother and I out doing activities, doing real things. You know, he was, uh, he's a Norwegian guy and kind of old school mentality. Norwegian. So So he's Norwegian and you moved to Canada or you moved to Canada. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why your name then. Yes. Svein. Yeah. 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 Tuft is, uh, a Norwegian. Yeah. So yeah, you know, he he instilled in my brother and I this this sense of adventure, right? And so growing up, it was that's what you did on the weekends. We we were either up skiing or hiking or doing something. And it was in his way, you know, like he wasn't babying us or 
taking it easy on us. It was just like, yeah, we're going out for, it's going to take eight hours and that's what you do. You know, we didn't bring any food or whatever, wow. you know? And I'm not saying like, Oh, that, that was like at the time I didn't know any different. Right. I just, that's what you did. You went with your, my, had an older brother and, uh, and my dad and we went and did all these trips and we'd fly sometimes on seaplanes out into the middle of nowhere, get dropped off for like a, a week or two and uh, hunt moose and fishing uh, trout and things like this. So uh, he really taught us like, you know, to, to just appreciate the wilderness and, and uh, that being outside was a lot better than, you know, sitting inside all day watching cartoons, which, you know, most kids like to do anyways. I, I'm not going to say I didn't do that either, okay. but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so around the age of 15, so I had a, I had a great life, great upbringing. Uh, we lived out in the, you know, out in the woods. Uh, but around the age of 15, my parents uh, separated. And as you might remember, I don't know how it was for yourself, but for for myself, that's a really screwy age. It's a weird time, right? We're trying to figure out who the hell we are. Yeah. And when <clears throat> your kind of foundation has has kind of blown apart underneath you, you know, which is your parents, you, you can go a few uh, funny ways. And I know for myself, I was lucky I had uh, like – because I grew up doing all those great things, adventures and climbing and this and that, that's all I wanted to do during that time. I didn't have any other bad influences. I had really great friends. Oh, and wow. um, so I was skateboarding, snowboarding, and then climbing and hiking and just always kind of going on these adventures. And at the same time, I was kind of playing my parents against each other because they didn't know, they weren't speaking to each other. So they didn't know where I was most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, I dropped out of school in grade 10 and I was working like three different jobs, just random jobs, you know, like cleaning up at a gas station and then hay baling, uh, you know, like lifting hay and in, in, uh, for farmers and this and that. So all kinds of different jobs and uh, just basically to save up for trips. And because I be started becoming obsessed with, climbing and getting out to the mountains that always required like uh you know quite a bit of travel and that got me into hopping trains mm -hmm. uh, the train the freight trains are free you know if you're if you don't have anywhere specific you have to be so hitchhiking and trains you can go pretty much anywhere in canada okay i don't know how it is i don't know how it is now because that's 25 years ago plus okay <laughs> Uh, maybe they've cracked down on that a lot harder, but, um, yeah, you know, I, that got me traveling and then, and then wanting to see more of the world. And, and, uh, the, the times that I did have cars, they were like $500 pieces of crap that, you know, tended to be more of a nuisance, you know, you might have them for one or two months and then they would blow out and you'd be trying to fix them on the side of the road okay and just the whole thing of paying insurance and being tied into the system and all that stuff I, it started to really crack me and that's when i I, th I had this great idea to go to like a secondhand store and buy a 10-speed bike and i had a i had a big dog at the time and and i thought well geez bikes are free like you you're not going anywhere super fast but you can pack all your stuff. So I welded up uh, a, a steel trailer 
and enough to carry all my equipment and uh, throw the dog in the back and this bike. So I, I, I embarked on my first trip, which is up to Bellacoola, a really special part of the world. And typical of like just being a young man, thinking you know everything and, you, and it's all going to be all right. I, uh, I left super late in the season, right? So in the okay. in the fall, which in BC is just not a wise idea, especially you, you go over this this area called the Chilcotin Plateau. And so here I am on this secondhand crappy 10-speed bike, um, loaded down to the hilt. I'd never ridden, like up to that point, I'd, I rode BMX bikes as a kid a little bit, and I, I rode the odd mountain bike, you know, and, and we would always bike um, with my dad. But like nothing... It was just down to the park or whatever. And so, yeah, now I'm like taking on thinking like, oh, yeah, I need to do like 100, 100K a day, right? Just right off the bat. I have no chamois in my shorts. I have no experience with anything, just yeah. flat deck pedals and this bike that's already breaking like in, in the first 20K. And uh, yeah, I did that trip. It got super cold. I, I broke the bike in 10 different times. I learned everything there is about about fixing bikes and if you remember that was the old days where you know the bottom brackets and the hubs all could be repacked right with the bearings could be taken out and repacked and yeah. a lot of things could be replaced so the odd time i would get to like a an antique store or second hand store and someone there would help me out they'd just like they'd have some old 10 speed wheel and they'd just give it to you because they'd see the situation you're in your bike's totally mangled the spokes are all <laughs> Yeah, frigged up, and and uh, so they just give you the wheel, then you would start pulling spokes off of that, trying to fix your stuff, and just through trial by fire, you're you're learning all of these intricate little things of of fixing a bike on the road because it's your only option. Like, and at the time that that was my stubborn way of thinking. Sure, I could have called and someone could have sent me, you know, uh, some money, and I could have gotten a bus home, but it just wasn't that wasn't an option in my head. Okay. I was, I was on this trip and that was it. Like I was finding my way and, uh, because essentially I was lost. I was, I like, I felt as if, you know, like I had no real place in society and this was, this journey was part of trying to figure that out. But also I was, I was obsessed with climbing and that was kind of, that was my front for going out on this adventure. But the, the reality was I was just a lost young man. And through those adventures, like I'm so glad I got to do that stuff because it really, it taught me about those other things. Like, okay, yeah, it was great to go in, into that mountain range and climb around, but that wasn't the goal. The goal really, or the, the realistic thing that happened to me was that I started to figure out more and more who I am. Yes. And now um, I'm 44. I still don't know really who I am, but I've gone a lot further through doing adventures like that than if I just had a, 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 a normal job and just the normal life. And so um, I feel so fortunate that I, that just circumstances, because, you know, we run into a lot of crossroads in life. And at that age, those crossroads can take you some pretty wild directions, Absolutely. you know, in, yeah. in the front the sense of like partying and drinking and like getting caught up with this people that aren't good influences in the sense of doing real things. Right. And I'm not saying like, that's a part of that young life. Yeah. You got to go and have fun and do all that stuff. But I just feel fortunate that 
the influences that I did have and the people around me that were like an effect on my life kind of drew me in that direction. And I just, I'm so, I feel so lucky that I got to do that at that age because it's hard to go back now, right? When you have kids and, and you, you've, you've lived a whole other life, you look at things differently. But when you're at that age, everything is just new and you don't have negative experience yet. So everything is a positive, you know, you're not saying like, Oh, well, I wouldn't go do that because of this is going to happen, which is like what I'd be like now. Cause I, I've experienced so many things that I say, Oh, well you, you wouldn't go up that or whatever, you know? So it's just, it's a magical time. And, uh, I have no regrets, you know, like, yeah, it's a, it's a weird time of life, but man, I, I was certainly lucky. I got to do all those great yeah. trips up to Alaska and, yeah and actually we we were talking about your first trip right something like when you got your mountain bike you put a trailer on it and you put your dog bear as i remember i read it yeah, about in yeah, uh, yeah. i think on the outside magazine and stuff and you started actually cycling on that no matter what and uh, in order to live your adventure how long did it last this first trip that first trip was i'm thinking is about 20 days mm-hmm but I, I went into – so I went into Bellacoola and then I went into the Chilco Lakes, which is part of the whole Chilcotin area that's kind of become quite popular now for adventure because it's still very untouched back there. Um, but I did run into uh, – like I said, up on the Chilcotin Plateau, I uh, <laughs> hit some pretty chilly nights like uh, it was minus 10, you know, like uh, in, a, in a big – wind blowing through and yeah you know you just i wasn't ready for any of that stuff i didn't have the the good equipment you know i think the stuff i have now like just down jackets and proper sleeping bags and tents and all that stuff i was just sleeping on the side of the road in a wool blanket you know (laughs) and the the other thing that happened on that trip on the way back i um I didn't have much money. So, you know, I was buying, living very cheaply, buying things like rice. When I'd see like rice on sale, like a big bag or whatever, I'd just grab that and load it on the trailer and, you know, you'd be eating rice for the next five days. And um, I tied up my jacket. I had money, the money in my jacket, and I tied it to my trailer. And I, I did this big, massive day. At this point, I just wanted to get home. And I didn't have much cash. I had probably just enough money to get home to to Langley, where I was living. And there's a funny thing that happens on those kinds of trips is like when you start out, it's just exciting. It's new. It's just everything is awesome. And then towards the end, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you just want to get home. Like you're you're kind of over it. (laughs) You're just, your mind is just like fucking get me home. And, um, I remember taking the jacket off, tying it to the trailer, and I I rode and I rode. And it must have been like probably four or five hours down the road, I realized when I need to get my jacket back on, it was starting to cool for the evening that the jacket was no longer there. Damn it. And I was just just like, no, I'm not going back. Absolutely. (laughs) I have no money, but I'm, I'm not going back. So I started picking up cans on the side of the road, cans and bottles. Because I knew the next town, Williams Lake, would have um, a place to return all that stuff. And, and you know, if you can get yourself five, ten bucks in cans, 
well, there's some food, right? And and that's going again, going back 25 years. So inflation and all that stuff. Five dollars actually went somewhere, you know, whereas nowadays it doesn't really take you anywhere. Anyways, I funded my whole trip home just by picking up cans and oh, wow. that part of the the world has a lot of um loggers and guys who tend to drink a lot of beer. So it's just beer can out the window, beer can out the <laughs> Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was like real independence. I was living off the the land essentially, drinking from creeks and then picking up pieces of aluminum to return for food. And this was your first adventure, right? It was actually the start of everything. Yeah. Then other adventure came around. Yeah, so it was funny because at that for that trip it was to to go climbing. That was my goal. That was uh -huh. the the reason reason behind it. And then after that trip I fell in love with it so much with cycling just that freedom of like i said i had my life on that that bike and i could go anywhere and what i find so amazing when i think about it now when i look back i, I reminisce so much because time was you just had time you had so much time so it was just like it didn't matter like if i was gonna just you know go down by a beautiful river on a nice day and read a book i'll just do that for the whole wow. day you yeah. know now now life is so crazy you know you have kids you have all this stuff you're trying to accomplish and and you just your mind is this turning right and that was the best thing about that part of my life is that it just there was nothing man i didn't have credit cards no phones no like i feel so lucky to have <laughs> growing up during that time because i think personally i think a phone a simple phone would have just ruined that of course it's not the same yeah yeah it ruins because of several reasons i believe actually because you are reachable everywhere many reasons and uh, yeah that's one thing and also on the other side you are attracted from this thing and actually maybe you are also pushed instead of living what you are living pushing on documenting it and doing all these kind of things and probably at that time for you it was just yourself exploring surviving enjoying 100 percent that's awesome yeah, I, that just that distraction would have ruined it absolutely 100 absolutely yeah no but that's great and then yeah maybe going slightly into that uh at a certain point that's as you we are listening to uh the bike got into your life and then at a certain magic point this became your profession And there are stories also up there that I read that actually you were also commuting, so moving to the um, training camps, for example, in California and stuff, on the bike, uh, and all these kind of things, right? And uh, you became good, actually. You discovered a talent into cycling, and this became your profession. That's pretty clear. That's out there. But how did you combine, then, this time of being a pro And also with kind of this kind of addiction, I would say, or pleasure on living adventure on the bike. Because you said you lived in Andorra for a lot of time. Also there you can have super good adventure. But did you have time to combine those? That was always the hardest part. Mm. And uh, before I really became, uh, I would say like it's, it wasn't until I really came to Europe that I really focused for quite a long time on becoming a professional. But mm -hmm. prior to that, I was never committed because okay. of the advent the adventure i i couldn't i because at the roots of what i was 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 that's all i wanted to do and the reason cycling and 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 the the racing side of it appealed to me is because i loved that challenge and and i always feel like if you really want to challenge yourself 
you have to put yourself in the arena with some of the best people. So that was kind of my goal to get there to see what I could do. But I hated how much of the commitment of time it took away from the things that I really did love. Okay. And so uh, bike racing kind of fed this thing for me that I like challenging and pushing myself. But also it was a way to, I realized I could support myself <laughs> because I, I could, as much as it's, you know, like being on the road and, and racing is not so much my thing, the training and the the travel and like the the exploring, because every day was like exploring for me. Uh, that's what I loved about training. That filled up so much for my life that it made the, the stuff that I didn't like. So I was always trying to find this balance. And in the earlier years, I quit a few times. Like I just stopped. I said, I'm not doing this okay. anymore. And and then it wasn't until I joined with uh, the Garmin team and came over in Europe. And I, after two years of that, I was like, okay, um, I guess this is what I'm doing, you know. And and at that point, you look back and you're like, shit, I've actually been doing this already now for, well, at that point, it had already been 10 years. So I'm like, this is my, this is what I do. And you have to like accept that and make the most of it. And and so what I tried to do was find that balance. And that was part of moving to Andorra. And then I started tra- changing my training, you know, like a lot of times you'll be working with a coach and they're like, yeah, you, you go out today, you're going to do five hours and you do this climb four times at this, this pace. And it's just like, not nah, for me. <laughs> no, thanks. no, thanks. And I was just lucky. I worked with a great uh, coach, Mark Quad. And he was really uh, open to these these new ideas because I was always like, you have to change the training stimulus, right? We keep doing the same thing over and again. And like we have such talented freaks in that sport. Like they're just guys are doing stuff that I, I just can't fathom. And I was in there, but I, I look now and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. Like and how these guys train, it's, it's totally nuts. But I just felt that was no longer for me. I was mentally it was crushing me and i said to my coach uh, marquard i was like i gotta get out there and just get back to my roots like what i love doing or else i can't do this sport anymore right and so we have to find a way to make it work and so i started doing these like three four five day missions through the pyrenees over to the basque country and then back to andorra and every time i'd take a different route whether through france whether through spain and it just made me so happy. You know, wow. like I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that all the time, but in my big blocks of volume, say prior to build up to the zero or something, you have you have some time to work with. And I would go off on these trips. It would, you know, it'd be so taxing because I'd plan these epic days and like totally like, yeah, it was hard and like big days. But it, I just came back from these trips so satisfied. And you've seen the countryside, like in my opinion, it has to be one of the most beautiful parts of the world. That whole southern France, northern Spain, yeah. Catalonia. This, this, I can understand why people have been fighting over this chunk of land for so many years. It's just absolutely insane. Like it just has everything, you know, oceans on both sides or sea and ocean on, on either side. Big mountains in between and then like the, the, the greenery of, of southern France. And then, you know, like the high, almost like desert country of Spain on the other side. It's just, yeah, I, I it was just awesome. I mean, I, that's how I was able to balance it because 
I would come back from those trips, you know, I'd have like a 1200 K under my belt in, you know, in, in five days or no. Yeah. I, I tried to always do over 200 K a day and I would just be hammered, but wow. just so happy. Whereas if I tried to do that just from home, same loops and all this and that, I'd be cracked. Mentally, I'd just be done, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's super great. And actually, yeah, this seems like... We're going to talk just a bit about Propelodon, I swear. But seems like that this actually became... I don't want to say a trend, but it's a bit more visible. Because now, for example, you can see people, for example, Thomas de Gant with Tim Valens. They are, um, they are doing it. So many people are doing this kind of trip, maybe a bit more in the off-season. Uh, but they are doing it exactly for that and these are exactly the people that then you see uh as as you want i don't want to say domestics but you know what i mean something like people that are hungry for getting uh, their captains or whatever in front of the peloton or that are there for uh, super hard days of breakaways these are the kind of people so really being out and being by yourself and being pushing yourself in order to get your goal and to absorb everything that can be there because if you think about that probably a long day on a breakaway it's pretty similar to an adventure day right you need to go fast from one side to the other and just enjoy the nature and just being by yourself most of the time so it's not attacking at the last climb and that's super great yeah and that's super great seeing people like you or people like the people that i mentioned doing that that's super great yeah you're exactly right i mean that's that's it it's it's like um i think it really does attract those kinds of riders whereas like the the more methodical gc riders they they're still at I think it can benefit everyone. It's just the mentalities are different, right? And I think they're always going to be a little more leery. That's why you see guys doing it a lot in the off season because they don't want to risk their season, which I totally get. But I'm telling you, there's there's great benefits to be had if you do it right. And I spent quite a few years trying to figure out how to how to do it right. And uh, there's something about being on the bike for eight to ten hours, though. Your body and everything changes physiologically. You get benefits even though you might not be doing like the high speed uh, special intervals and all that stuff. Something just happens. Okay, no, that's uh, that's amazing. That's super great. And actually, another thing that I saw, and it basically because you, the both of you are Canadians, but I saw some of the videos, probably both of you being already off. So off from the, the prop peloton and talking about you and of course Christian Meyer. And uh, being out there on exploring the country, so Andorra or I think he lives in uh, Girona now, right? Yep. Uh, being there and enjoying riding the bike, but it's not basically an, an only enjoying the bike ride. It's also carrying your bike on top of bike to bike section, really to explore. And I love actually there is this video, I think it's on uh, the service course YouTube channel, where you are planning your route on the map. So no computer and nothing saying this one should be a good path. Let's go and figure it out. And then I can see you, you, we can see you with a bicycle on your shoulders going up on this. That's real adventure. And that's something that probably you wanted to um, translate and to move from your days in British Columbia or Canada in general to also to Europe, because there is also there a lot to explore. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, maps, I'm still obsessed with maps because, (laughs) you know, computers are amazing because you can have topo this and that, but the way a map is just physical. I can, for me, I can put the land together so much better by looking at a map and, and, uh, I think it's also an important skill. And I think back to a lot of my early touring trips, I'd be down in 
you know, California or something. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, nowadays we go on the Garmin and it uses all of the heat, heat uh, markings to, to give you the best local cyclist route so you can bypass that section of highway. But sometimes I'd just be on a highway for <laughs> 50K. <laughs> okay. Shitting myself, you know, and like, because in those days you just had a, you had a map and it just showed like one road going through. You didn't have, you didn't know all of the, the, the ways around it, right? Because you don't have that local knowledge. And I don't know if you've been to America, but their their highways are pretty scary when you're out there with yeah. the trailer. And <laughs> yeah, I was there in uh, in California, actually. And uh, I was actually traveling with a bus or I actually rented a car as well. Yes, they're scary also with a car. I can't imagine with a yeah. bike. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But this was exactly so. On maps were also the way that you were actually also planning these full weeks of, yeah, these big volume blocks that you were talking to us before. So you were also checking everything on the maps and doing there. And how would you actually, you already something I mentioned that, but how would you sync this kind of training with your with your coach at that time? Did you take did it take a bit of time for you to to introduce this concept to him or it was actually a bit more more responsive let's say Well they always they <laughs> my team I was lucky to be on a great team with okay. with Orca Green Edge which what is now Bike Exchange but changed changed its name over the years but same group of people and they gave me a lot of freedom uh, so I feel super lucky for that because they knew I always had a different approach to things and they allowed me a lot not allow because i was gonna ski i was gonna do whatever anyways so there's no allow but i like to have a good relationship i don't want to have friction so i was always felt lucky that i never felt friction they just accepted that i would do those things and and uh, i wouldn't really talk too much about it you know and then over the winters when i would start doing my big blocks i wouldn't talk to anyone about it i would just go and do those trips and then as the season would come through i'd be like you know, I'd, I'd pitch it to my coach like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, after San Sebastian, I'm going to ride home to Andorra uh, as as part of, uh, you know, preparation for the Vuelta. Oh, that's kind of, yeah, you know, like at first they're just like, Eesh. and so now it's on you to prove to them that this is a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. So it was always in, in my best intention to try, because again, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do because that's who I am but I also don't like friction I don't I'm I'm working for them and I've agreed to give the best of what I can for them right so it's like trying to find that balance and that's what I was able to do so what I what I did is I really tried to make sure when I did those things I backed it up so for example I rode the next day after you finish San Sebastian you're totally buggered get on the bike and you ride 220k into France somewhere and then you know a couple days you're home and and then you're off to the to the vuelta and you know you have to back that up so you try and do your best performance and they go okay well this is working for you the numbers are good like because they just look at results and numbers right of course it's great we have this we have this relationship we all love each other and we're family blah 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 but in the end of the day if you can't provide the the job that's necessary and put out the numbers and if you're not can't you're not capable of that see you later that's how that life is you're a mercenary right and mm. and so yeah you you make the most of your time in that sport and looking back now i think it's yeah it's so crazy but that those trips really saved my career i think in the sense of just having being able to enjoy it for so much longer than, giving you some than, motivation uh, as well 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's super great. Actually, this is a great relationship, I think, in terms between, of course, yourself as a rider and the team itself, that actually they would trust you because at the end of the day, numbers count because you could also find other people there that would prefer to have something like a more uh, hierarchical, I would say, approach. You do what I say, otherwise you're out. Yeah. In this way, at yeah. least numbers are counting and are here. So that's really great. Yeah, yeah. But that's something that actually I have in mind now is that, so you were doing these kind of trips most of the time, but you are in a team, right? So I think that you were talking also with your team, your something like team uh, colleagues and friends and stuff. Did anybody just say something to you like, I'm coming with you? Or can I come with you? Or where you are going next? So you also joined ventures on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had a lot of guys who would just roll their eyes and just be like, oh, that's, that sounds <laughs> ridiculous, you know? But uh, I, I had some, you know, you 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 live with these people, right? And you you either, like, just become colleagues or you become great friends. And... Um, again, I was just lucky. I was on such a great team. And, and so I have friends to this day where we're still planning trips in the future. Like when, you know, when they can make it here or when I can next make it there to do some more trips like we've done, you know. So I think of Luke Durbridge or Mitch Docker are, are a few guys. Sam Bewley is another one um, that we've gone on these big gravel wow. uh, adventures, right? And they're keen to to continue that tradition because we've, we were able to do it, uh, quite a, quite a bit. And I know Luke Durbridge has actually really taken on the touring training, yeah. which is, which is, it just puts a smile on my face. You know, if you can, um, just have that little bit of an effect on, on people and then they do it in their own way, right? Like he's, he's doing it in his way and, and, uh, he loves it, you know? So it's like, but it's just that sense of that exploration, that ex the excitement for adventure it adds so much to that life, which can be very monotonous in, in the professional world, right? Because everyone's just convinced it's like, oh, you got to do this, 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 this. And yeah. It, you can yeah. do stuff also differently. It's okay to it, follow. Totally. If yeah. you like to follow the plan, please do it. If you want yeah. and if you don't like it or if you prefer doing something else, you can also try it out. You cannot do the yeah. things all the time in the same way, right? 100%. Yep. <laughs> That's great. So basically now making another step in, uh, you lived a lot of time in Andorra and actually I got to know a bit more. Okay, I got to know a bit more about your story and your uh, you begin so much in exploration and stuff for two different reasons. One, your trip from Andorra until the UK for the Gibiduro, and this was the first thing. Uh, let's go slightly into that. So I was reading about that. It was crazy. You did 2,000 kilometers, I think, in order to arrive there. And then in order to cross uh, the, yeah, the, to cross actually the, the part, the ocean there, you had to rent a car. And this is a super crazy story because they didn't allow the walk-ins and that's super nice. And then you took part also to the Gibiduro in this amazing, it was in 2020, right? The amazing edition where you have to carry everything with you. And this was yeah. so you, man. So, I mean, you had everything yeah. with you in order to finish the trip and that's super great. <laughs> yeah, look, it was, um, it was a funny time for me. I just retired and I was still looking for things to do. And... I needed this trip because it taught me a lot of things uh, about myself still. And while that trip would, it was perfect for me in the sense of just the nature of it, packing all of your things and 
and that it was a real eye-opener as to what the rest of my life should look like. So I learned a lot, and, and I, I won't go too long on the details or whatever, but the best part was the ride across France. Okay. As soon as it became logistics to get to a race and race, right? It's a race, right? I mean, it's not like the racing I was doing, but it was going to be something where you're going to try and get to a point the fastest, right? Mm. And I will say for myself, what happened was that the most beautiful part of that trip was when I was just doing my own thing, riding, you know, big days, but in my own way, you know? And then it was this whole cluster with the ferry and the, you know, renting a car for like 3,000 euros to just park it on the other side, you know, like, cause you, you didn't know how long you're going to need it for. <laughs> it's just all this stuff. And I'm like, I should have just stopped right there. Okay. And then at a certain point, I'm like, you know, I go out to the start and, and you get into this race mode in the sense of like, you're paying attention to like, yeah. And it just, what I, I guess what it came down to for me is like, I'm uh, at the time, you know, I had my, my son and we had an, another one on the way. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I've been doing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So where, do, where, where does this end? Right? Like, where do I stop doing this to myself? Right? Like, I was still searching for that thing. And what I, I guess, realized was that that's no longer really a part of my life as much. <laughs> and I needed to respect that. And and so in, in that moment, I just decided to pull the plug and ride back home. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, it was, you know, I was up in, I don't know, maybe five or 600K into the, into the GB Duro. And I just said, no. Nah, I'm not doing this to myself anymore. And okay. it's just out of respect to so many things, my family, myself, my body, like, yeah, it's, it's, um, it was just a big realization. And I think an important, um, extreme way that I had to teach myself a lesson, which is kind of how I do a lot of things. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, actually I can tell you something about myself. I have something with me that I usually call the, um, the transponder curse. I mean, all the time that they put a chip on my bike and this means that actually my time is actually being seen from somebody else or is checked and stuff, something yeah, doesn't yeah. work. It happened to me so many times. Last time it was actually this year here in Switzerland for the Grand Duro. That is a party anyways, but you have a transponder because you need to be timed in some segments. Well, complete. Something like my mind goes something else. I started skipping the segments. <laughs> I didn't like them. And then I took shortcuts. I knew the area really good. So I could do it. I went yeah. actually into single tracks instead of going into uh, the segment there. And then I said, okay, yeah, that's probably something that they don't want to do to me. And this actually for yeah. you, it's a bit different because actually you were timed way more than me for 20 years. So you were really racing way more <laughs> than me, but I can feel I can understand your feeling there because from time to time it's just something like now. It's enough. I just want to do things my way. I don't care about how much time I stay on the bike. I don't care how much a few hours or just one hour or a few days. Or I don't care how fast I go. I just care. I don't yeah. care where I go. I just care to be outside and enjoy. And this is what happened to you probably. It's spot on. And, and I think the, like the biggest part there was that I still love to push myself. I still love the challenge. I still like the idea of a race. But it's like I want to do everything on my own terms now. Not, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, for 20 years I've been, you get the schedule in the morning and you get here and you line up. The start is exactly this and you got to, 
this is your job for the day. It's just like, no, nah, thanks. So that it was just kind of bringing me back to that. And I was like, no, you, you retired from this stuff. <laughs> and this probably from there, it came the idea to go back to, to BC, right? It, so what was happening was um, I'd started a, a gravel touring business there in Andorra, just about to finish things up. And then the COVID came and, Ah, wait a second, and, uh, Zane. COVID. Just remember to everybody, it's the first time actually after 41 minutes. That's great. This is a COVID jar. All the time that myself or my guests are mentioning COVID, because actually yeah. we know that we have to put stuff in a content that is needed, but we know also how tired we are about COVID. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. I got my booster a couple of weeks ago and I'm in love with it, but still COVID seems like it's been there, especially here in Switzerland. But all the time that we name COVID, I put one Swiss franc in this COVID jar and then at the end of the season all the content so all the money that are here are gonna go to a charity and this year is Bike Higi is a charity from Berlin they are teaching women so refugee women to ride the bike um, okay. I think this is a great cause last year it was the Sea Watch uh, so the people that are actually rescuing people in Central Mediterranean this year is something a bit more local and people that you can talk with a bit more and so at the end my charity mission this year is to give some money to buy Kigi and to let a lot of refugee women from Afghanistan Syria and wherever to learn how to go on the bike sorry nice. I need to mention this all the time that the first time that all the first time that we're talking about COVID go ahead please that's that's awesome yeah thank you <laughs> yeah so we we um we saw the writing on the wall and uh, we'd always talked about going back to Canada um, down the road, we were going to stay in Endor for a bit, but then this just kind of, uh, and then some family things, and it just prompted us to make the move back. And I'm going to say moving internationally is not, uh, not a good time, not something I'll do again. <laughs> okay. You would wait yeah. for a bit of time. It was actually in 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so we've done two moves in, in one year. But uh, I think now we're pretty settled. I think we'll be here for a long time. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, and as I was telling you before, actually, I know you because of this story. And then, of course, apart from the Pro Peloton, from there I started reading about you. And then the second thing that actually let me know you a bit more is the series that you are basically producing together with 7Mesh. The name of it is... I completely forgot about that. You know it. Re re reconnecting. Exactly. Reconnecting. That's basically reconnecting with your areas out there. Oh, by the way, also here's more little brackets. Thanks a lot, John uh, Zupfi from uh, Seven Mesh. He was the one putting us in contact. I was asking you for him for your contact, and that's why you're here. It's a, a great man, guy. John. Yes, he's a great, yeah. great person, and uh, I'm super happy that actually he connected us so we can have this talk. But into this yeah. series for Seven Mesh, uh, you are really putting down all your um, way again for reconnecting, right, with your territory, with your life that was before your experience that were before starting from the beginning what's the difference between the experience and the adventure that you're having in british columbia and the experience that you talked about before that you had in europe yeah well um to begin with a lot has changed here in british columbia um my a lot of my big memories are from over 20 years ago but in saying that is still very wild and very untouched and you know, British Columbia is just an amazing place in the sense of it's different territories and different climates 
and hip force. Um, we just have these big old growth forests, massive like ecosystems where like like one range of mountains will be totally different from the next. And you know, in from that we have you know a semi-arid desert, and then going into like the Rockies. You know, it's just it's big and it's very untouched. And, and while Europe has a lot of that same stuff, you know, Switzerland, one of the most beautiful countries in, in the world. Um, I'm so changed since when I arrived here. It's just amazing. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I know yeah, what you mean. Yeah. I love it there. And then I love, you know, like Northern Italy, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, there's so many fantastic places in like the Pyrenees, all these things. But the difference is, I guess for me is that, there's uh almost every valley has something in it there's there's people there's civilization and that's awesome too especially when you are adventuring and and traveling it's awesome to be able to pull in somewhere and you know you can stock up on some supplies or whatever but um there's something just a little more gnarly about being here that just adds an extra element for me in british columbia is that the elements are really extreme and then how there really is nothing like once you get out into a certain region there's just nothing and i i there's something about that that just adds this extra bit of excitement adrenaline whatever like you have to have your stuff dialed you have to have your plan in and you have to know how to handle yourself in those situations and i for me that just it adds a lot more to those those trips and those adventures mm -hmm. because you can't afford to make mistakes um and and you know like once you've been doing things long enough you shouldn't be making a lot of mistakes but i just like the fact that that element's there for some people they probably think that sounds stupid but i think it's like anything in life when you've been doing something so much and and so long in your life you're looking always a little more right you're a little like what what's different what's more challenging what's harder right and i think that's just part of it yeah when you when you go ski touring here it's you have to have all your stuff and, and you have to have a backup plan right you have to have emergency tools and emergency food whereas in the pyrenees i could go in a t-shirt and uh, throw my skins down my pockets and my pants you know like and ski down <laughs> and yeah. be back be back home or be at a restaurant in in 20 minutes right and here you go back there and you can be out there eight hours and there's nothing. It's just absolutely nothing. Um, I think that exactly in the video that now I'm gonna, we're going to talk about, because I want to talk a bit more about ski touring and cycling, but I think that actually in your car there is a speaker who said, that says something like, uh, planning is freedom or something like this. That's what you mean, right? D discipline, discipline equals freedom. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something yeah, like that, so, right? And, you and, need to have everything tied. Yeah. 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 And so discipline that it takes to like be prepared for that stuff. Yeah. It's annoying. You're at home making sure you have like everything sorted out. You have, you've, you've taken all the steps, right? It's work, but then it makes that trip so much better. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. no, that's, uh, that, now I understand what you mean because really you need to have everything uh, really right in place. Otherwise, something bad can happen. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about this trip because actually this was the the trigger that actually 
pushed me on having a talk with you today. And because now at the moment, I'm pretty fascinated about a uh, multi way of exploring trips on being in the outdoor. So, for example, I'm super fascinated with people that are taking their bike on a canoe and then go through the river and then start cycling. And of course, the things that actually popped up into my mind by uh, seeing this video that I'm mentioning is yourself on the trip to Manning Park in the Cascade area, where you actually put your skis on your bike. That I, at that time, I think it was a Legor bike, so steel bike. No, probably not. This was a fat bike. It was a fat bike, right? On your fat bike, so yep. cycling on the snow and then with your ski there and then doing a part of the trip with the bike and the other part of the trip, of the trip ski touring. First of all, tell me about the track itself. So something like all the area that you explored in this way. And then we're going to talk about something else, I think. <laughs> well... The Manning Park area is a special area to me. I grew up skiing there. I started skiing when I was three years old. And uh, this whole region is this. It's like in its own little climate. It gets really dry snow. So it's just further inland from the coast where I grew up. And it's uh, it gets really. It's just a really special climate there. It gets always gets snow. And it's a park, so it's protected. Um, I find that just to be beautiful nowadays to just see forests that haven't been manipulated in any way. So that's pleasing to the eye. And so this was a trip going back uh, to all the years I spent in, in that area, in that region. And, and one of the, the places that I love to ski the most. And um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I, I've always had a thing about, wanting to bike in and and use vehicles less and so for me it was it was kind of just that blend of everything and and to this day like I, where i live i can access a lot of good ski touring it's five minutes drive or 50 like 10 15 minutes bike and so you know getting in a car and all the stuff that takes to just get the car there you know, you can hop on a bike and, and it, it's a way better experience as it always is and always has been. So anytime I can find a way to, to make that happen, that's, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll try and bike in and, and just kind of mix all of those things together. And, and again, it, it's the preparation is different. You have to be, you know, like, especially if you're camping, you saw that rig, it was a lot of stuff on there. Absolutely. And I, I yeah, you you just have to be ready for everything and bring more than what you need a lot of the times. Let's talk exactly about that. What did you bring on that trip or what do you usually bring in these kind of trips? Yeah, well the, the big the big one is is like clothing because you're doing you're doing like, you know, multi sports. So you need something that's bomber. So like I think of like a good Gore-Tex jacket, a good down jacket. Those are kind of like number one, good pants. Uh, Gore-Tex pants or something similar uh, because you want something that you can transfer and use for everything mm -hmm. and it's still going to breathe and you're not going to get totally soaked um, just because you have you can only pack so many things right so then um, then when you're talking about cooking and the sleeping the sleeping setup you want a proper insulated mat because you're sleeping on the snow and a sleeping bag you want to be comfortable, so you need something rated with a high, you know, like can handle some cold temperatures. And uh, then I had like a 
uh, Big Agnes uh, bike packing tent, which they're they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not so much like if you're going to be in the real deep, heavy snowfall, but I was protected under some trees there. Um, <clears throat> and then my cooking setup was a jet boil with um, just the uh, the little packets of food just to keep things light and keeps keeps things really easy <clears throat> because you're bringing a lot of extra equipment like your boots for ski touring mm-hmm. and th- those things take up a lot of room. So with two, uh, with four panniers and then a middle, a middle bag and then the ski strapped on either side of the frame poles in there, um, uh, you're able to take everything and you aren't on a fat bike. You're never really going fast, you of know, course. big studded tires and, and you run low, low pressure. But I'll tell you, it's like, it's a great cruising speed. Like you, as long as you're not like trying to get anywhere fast and, and you're just enjoying the ride and you, this way you don't really have to sweat. It's only when you're really climbing steep, long climbs or whatever, you really have to dig into it. But otherwise you're just cruising along. Right. And yeah, the goal is to not sweat too much. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's cold. That's, I think it's. Yeah kind of mandatory but that actually yeah. the thing that actually popped up into my mind when i was checking this video anyways it's going to be here in the description below uh it's basically that what do you do when you start then when you the bike trip finishes and then you have to start ski touring you just drop the bike with some of the equipment and some of the stuff on the side and then you just bring something on your backpack with the skis or how does it work yeah, so I take the the panniers all come off, right? And I'll go and like find a little place, like because a lot of the places I go are pretty remote. Mm-hmm. So I'll dig like a little hole. The panniers are all waterproof. They're that uh, Ortlieb, you know that yeah, that yeah, brand? yeah of the, course, a German brand, like the German brand, really good stuff. And you can just bury them in the snow, and like, and then I just have like a cable. And I just do it around the tree. If someone's going to take your bike, they're going to take your bike. Like, it's, okay. it, but like generally it's not in like a, it's not in a busy parking lot or anything. It's like on a logging road out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So mm-hmm. unless, unless someone's really looking for it, they're never going to see it. Cause it's off in the bush, uh, wrapped around a tree. Right. So, okay. and then I always have my back, my backpack that load in and, and, uh, then I take my tent sleeping bag, stuff it in there and, my food and off you go yeah because that's the most important thing right you need to bring your food with you because you want to eat and also you don't want a bear to to rip off your bags to get the food that you left around <laughs> well the, the good thing in this part of the world is the bears are all hibernating and ah, it's uh, true. Oh, because we're going in winter of course yeah and <laughs> and another sense. point that's important with what you said there is like food is super crucial because when you are all day out in the cold you're you're just burning through so much more calories mm-hmm. right just in the sense of just staying warm and not to mention all the movement you're doing so yeah and what do you bring in terms yeah. of food in a trip like this yeah so it's really just calorie dense stuff i use a lot of the um you probably have those the the dehydrated yes bags very good. yeah we food. call yes we call it the dog food dog food yeah <laughs> yeah 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 they're they're just so handy um it's really I good use a lot well. of that stuff you can find something yeah. really good yeah yeah super calorie dense stuff like dark chocolate and nuts and and this kind of stuff yeah no yeah no no i can uh, i can see the point and it's light to carry as well and easy to if you want to cook or whatever you just need to pour some hot water in it and you add it 
Totally. Yeah. That is good. Ah, yeah, yeah. As I was saying, you can find yeah. something really, really tasty. It depends. Actually, you need to try to try a lot of things, but once that you find your your kind of taste that is matched, you stay, you stick on that, and you are also they are also super palatable things. Of course, it's not a pizza, totally. but on the other side, you would don't want to eat some triplets. Even yeah. if you are Italian. When you're, when you're tired enough, anything tastes good. It could Absolutely. just be straight rice. And you're just like, wow, this is amazing. It's true, it's true, it's true. Yeah, I can imagine something like, I don't know, having rice with um, a can of tuna fish. It's really good. Totally, yeah. <laughs> really good. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you, how much, would you consider actually this kind of, um, yes, uh, touring adventures, uh, cycling, so ski touring, cycling and ski touring so like something like two things that can be complementary in terms of equipment or but also in terms of adventure itself what do you think yeah i think they both have their their merits like ski touring takes uh a, you know like anyone can get a, a gravel bike and and get some bags and go on a trip and you know start off in the summer go 50k 25k whatever and just start small and go from hotel to hotel yeah right you can go on the dolomites and do an awesome trip Absolutely. whereas ski touring it's going to take some time to to get the the equipment sorted out for you what you what you're after and then the skills to because anyone can climb on the skis um definitely there's some technique involved as you want to go faster and climb faster and like anything but the downhill is where it gets pretty you know you got you got to put in the the time and here in bc we have if you go into the back country it gets more there's a lot more danger element just in the sense of avalanche we just have so much snow falling um you know just here out my my back door there's uh the mountains have big slab avalanches uh coming down so you know there's that whole other element that um but the sense of adventure is the is in my mind very much the same. You're going to a new area, going up some valley you've never seen before, and you're you're trying to get to like see beautiful parts of the world. So using human power, which yeah, that's for me the best. Yeah. I would say that actually that's something that I think because now I'm also trying to learn how to go down with the snowboard for my case, because my aim is exactly doing some uh how do you split board touring? Something split like board, yeah. Because I, I oh, really yeah. would love to start seeing the mountains not only in summer, like I do at the moment, but also in winter. I think it's super magical. But actually, totally. I compare these things a bit more like the bike, right? For going up, more or less, you just need to put a lot of effort. And at the end of the day, you are going to arrive up, up to the mountains. But with the bike and probably also with the skis. Uh, but on the other side, coming down, there you need a the technique. There, you probably yep. need a bit more of training because something can be dangerous, even more dangerous with the skis or with the split board or with the snowboard than uh, with anything yeah. else. So I, yep. I can understand what you mean. Let's see if I can actually... I actually have made myself a plan. I started last year. I will try in a couple of years to be decent on going down. And then the yeah. exploring is going to start. But baby steps. Good, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But so actually you told us already that you are not on you don't only have this kind of trip in order to mix together um ski touring and cycling, right? So the one in the Manning Park. You have also something on your back door. You do more than this, not only the one that we saw in the video. Yeah, I I, I 
going back to you know my early days the, the everything has changed so much equipment wise right when i think of my original uh bike going up to alaska it was a big heavy mountain bike with uh with the trailer and my dog you know and that's that's what i got used to traveling in with those days and there would be stretches of 600k where you couldn't get any supplies you couldn't there was no stores it's just nothing mm-hmm so you know you'd stock up load that trailer up full of food and 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 start riding and now the bikes are like the the frames are lighter better race bikes than than my race bike when i started <laughs> okay. it, it, it's it's like a beefy you know mountain bike wheels and i mean the bikes are just incredible the gravel bikes i'm now i'm riding a land yachts bike hand built i saw a video on that Man, it looks stunning. It's a titanium yeah. bike, right? It's a titanium bike. I've never ridden titanium, and I just, I just, I, I love this machine. And and you can do everything. Like I could put a set of road tires on that and go, you know, and just go on a road. I could race it if I wanted to. <laughs> Yet at the same time, I I think I have forty five C tires on there, and I could run six fifty B by two point one mountain bike tires on there. You know, and and that allows you to go and ride in any terrain, and then with the bags, you know, it, everything is so perfectly fitting, so lightweight. When even and and then the equipment, as far as like uh, just how camping gear has evolved, and and then clothing like seven mesh, you know, like a Gore-Tex jacket weighs nothing now, right? And and so you can do these trips, big trips here, any well anywhere, and it's just it's such a difference right like because my memories of that life or whatever are from before touring with this big mountain bike rig and trailer and all that stuff so yeah it's changed a lot and and it just makes makes it like i'm still excited about that adventure and i still do a lot of trips here in bc and and then um coming up for next summer we have uh we have a cabin on our property that the Great Northern Rail Trail runs right behind our, our property, and that links up like all of these big mountain valleys. And I want to start doing some tours with people come and stay at the cabin mm-hmm. and uh, and start doing some some tours in this area because we just have so much terrain to explore here. And there's it's a lot of cool, cool towns and, and uh, yeah, it, and it's, it's not a place that um, has been explored a lot in the sense of gravel riding. So, yeah, there's a lot of good future here. That's great. I have the last thing that I want. Actually, I have two things. I will start with one. The first one, give us two tips for anybody who wants, because actually I already know somebody who is doing intermodal, something like ski touring and uh, cycling trip. Also, another friend of mine, he did from Krakow to Georgia with a cargo bike and the, and the, rampon, and the crampons and the skis and whatever just to climb up a mountain. So I know that yeah. somebody is doing it, but from your point of view, give us two or three tips on what to do if anybody wants to start. Probably it's going to be me in four years. Some uh, ski touring slash cycling all together trip. What do we have to take here? You talked already about that, but let's go. couple of tips. <laughs> well, the big one is, I'm going to say, the one that hits me the most, the one that I had the biggest challenge with, is getting your skis attached to the bike without damaging them. Because as as you know, skis or split board can cost uh, a fortune. You don't want to 
have them rattling or bashing up against your metal frame. The bike can take it, but ski edges and, and the P-Tex gets all buggered up. So um, my, my biggest trick was trying – and also you want to have it as flush to the frame as possible. Of course. Because you don't want to have abrasion on your legs. So, yeah, finding the, the right technique for that. So I used uh, packing foam and those, uh, those ski straps, which oh. uh, I don't know, like Voile <coughs> makes them or Black Diamond. And always travel with a lot of those. There's, you can do so much with those things, but they're the, they're the handiest thing I have in my kit because if a bag blows out or something happens, <coughs> you can cinch everything back together, get you home, and they're easy to work with, right? You can easily pull them off and on. And the same with uh, if your skin's, uh, get buggered up, get some ice or get like the glue starts to come undone on your skis or split board. Those same straps can cinch. That's super interesting. Cinch up and get you home. I knew that they were super helpful for any bicycle trip. I didn't know that they could be helpful as well for any ski touring trip. That's a good tip. I have something like four or five as well with me. So I usually bring them yeah. with me. But yeah, it makes I, sense. <laughs> I always overpack them because you just don't know, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and then let's think another, uh, another one would be, um, I'm going to say for trips like that, always have like your, because you're, you lose all your heat out of your, your head, especially me with my hairdo. Yeah. We have have the same, uh, haircut, I think. (laughs) Yeah. You want like a super warm hat for when you sleep. Um, oh, wow. just because you, you never know, like, so you want it to uh, something that you keep dry and that you can sleep in and that will keep you, that will keep you warm because you lose a lot of heat overnight through your head. And a lot of times in the winter, you don't know how much the temperature is going to shift at night. And quite often by four or five in the morning, you're shivering away. So just make sure you always have a dry, super warm hat and that will, Really, because you don't also don't want to breathe into your sleeping bag because then you get a lot of condensation and it mm-hmm. gets clammier and wetter for the next day. Because if you're doing multi-day trips, that's also important to really think about is how to always keep things as dry as possible. And that uh, is another thing is like Ziploc bags, um, the big ones. So then you can have things organized. So you're okay. not rifling, rifling around uh, through your pannier bags, just randomly um, – trying to you know i've done trips where i just stuff everything in and then it's snowing or kind of mixed rain snowing and you're pulling stuff out it's falling on the ground it's getting wet right so if you have ziploc bags that you marked or you just know exactly what's in each one that's going to save you a lot and also it's an extra waterproof barrier it's also you can chuck it out on the snow and not worry about whatever's in there getting wet so those I think I could go on and on about that winter stuff, but I think those are no, those maybe three, three are that... super interesting. So yeah, we said actually check out how you are strapping your skis. The second thing is bring a beanie, a warm hat, and the third thing would be actually um, zip bags to keep things organized, dry, and uh, also yeah, easy to pick up. That's very great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last thing that I want to ask you, uh, Svein, and it's actually what are you next at? 
What are you thinking about? What are you going to do? How your life, exploring life and everything is going to evolve in the next future? You talked about uh, already your uh, kind of project of bringing people out there and to explore a bit more your area with gravel bikes. And what next? Are you actually thinking about something else? I think that you already do something like cycling slash hiking uh, adventures already and everything like this. What are you putting then into the the pan of cook for cooking for the next time <laughs> well like i said we just moved to a new a new place here i have two kids so at the moment my bandwidth for a lot of adventures you know taking off for two days or all day it's not really it's not really happening um just a few hours for now a few hours it, adventure yeah it's already a lot so I, i'm very lucky because we, we get out here now and uh, like I live right on the cross-country ski area. So I'm always out on the cross-country skis or I'm ski touring or fat biking. And these are the times right now. I know they'll become more in the, in the future. And especially once we get the, the, the business going with the, the gravel touring here in, in the Kootenays, um, there'll be a lot more uh, – trips but in the whole scheme of those adventures are always a part of my life and i look to the past summer and i was still doing like these you know i just started taking an interest in in mountain runs and going into like um ranges where there's no trail system you Mm -hmm. just have to find your way like so taking a challenge of like how do i go to this new area and make my way up this amazing mountain there's no trails so what's that going to look like? And so that's become a whole new exciting thing to do. And and so I still have my days for that. But the days of like multi-multi right now with the little one, it's not going to happen in the next year. But, you know, it's um, everything's going to come back. And, and my interest is always in those trips. So when I can just get out for a day trip now, I'm, I'm stoked and I'm, it's, it's enough for me. I I've had a life of doing that stuff. So, you know, there's a phase of life for everything. And, and I, I just feel like this is my time to just be more here at home with the kids and, and, and putting that time in. And then once the, they start to get, their little taste for adventures then i can start bringing them out more and exposing them to that life as well so that's super great yeah. man. and it's super that's... super expiring for me as well because i am more or less in the same situation my kid now is two months and a half old and yeah now actually yeah. for me it's gonna start be complicated also doing some cycling training indoor also because i'm getting old and my back is starting hurting but also because <laughs> yeah you're working you are making the things that you like to do like talking with you today and then the other free time that you have you don't want i actually don't feel at the moment really in the need of being out for longer hours it's okay if i go out once a week or once every two weeks for a couple of hours but the rest of the time i want to stay with the kid and enjoying his exactly. first miles and first things it's super fascinating it's another adventure right we were talking about that yep. before yeah there's a time for life and everything so yeah, yeah. absolutely Zvain, thanks a lot ah just last thing tell us where we can find you around social media you were talking about actually your um companies for traveling around the area whatever tell us where we can find you so you can mention it now and i can put it also in the description uh, episode notes that's why how people are calling them episode notes yeah, sure. Um, I I have Instagram. It's Swain.tuft. So my name S S V E I N 
Tuft. I'm not. I haven't been very active lately, just because I've been so busy uh, getting set up here. Okay. And then we have a website, toughcamps.com, and you, there's a way you can contact me, or you can just direct message me. I don't. I don't mind. However, people want to connect, and if it's just to talk about a trip, if you're coming to BC and you want to ride in this area, let me know anytime. I'll I'll uh, organize a trip and yeah, show you around. That's perfect. I can tell you personally also the same thing. Whenever you're coming to Switzerland, first of all, give me a shout. Nice. We have actually the room where I'm recording that is exactly for guests, yeah. cycling guests specifically. And we can go out. For, <laughs> so you can come over, you, your family, and we can actually go out for cycling a bit. It's not up to the mountains, unfortunately. I'm still living super close to the city. But let's see what's happening in the future. Actually, it's also in my mind something like living big cities is something that I have in mind now for a couple of years. Let's see if it'll, it will happen. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, let's see. Sven, thanks a lot, Dan. It was really great pleasure and great inspiration to talk with you today. Yeah, great talking to you, bud. We'll talk to you soon. I told you it was nice, isn't it? I hope you enjoyed as much as I did while I was recording. Thanks a lot, Sven, to be guests of this podcast and please keep on this amazing spirits that you have and this amazing adventure that you're gonna have you're a great inspiration also for me that now i got the little camillo back in my life and i would love him to learn a bit more how to live in the outdoors and for sure i'm gonna ask you some more tips in order to tell me how to bring him out because i'm the worst adventurer ever and on the other side we can learn together and i can learn from you that's the thing thanks a lot everybody for listening thanks a lot for Komoot no thanks a lot for your help Komoot because thanks to Komoot these episodes are really happening and they're still independent and as well thanks to Komoot you can get also your free region just go on komoot.com slash g and write the code broom do go there and enjoy your free region and everything that comes with it. Another thing that you can do for me, as usual, and I was telling you, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, put a rating and put a comment and put a review there. It's super, super important for me. Or drop me a coffee. The coffee link is down below. Thanks, John from 7Mesh, to make this episode happen. Really, really grateful. And thanks to all of you for listening. The Broom Wagon is back for 2022 you will listen something more ciao people